Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We have a good crowd that's assembled here. I was thinking as we got started, we have a bit of a mixed up crowd uh, than our normal crowd. That's not a bad thing. We've got several visitors in our midst. We're grateful that you have come our way. Uh, I do think that Carl wins the award for most visitors, or maybe Midge, I should say, wins the awards for most visitors today, but we're thankful to see their family with us. Uh, and any other, anyone else who is visiting, I don't know if I see any true visitors or first-time visitors, but thankful to all you uh, who have come to join us today. I say it's a mixed-up crowd because we've got a lot of our folks who are out. We've got several who are traveling. We've got several who are sick. I know a lot of our kids are, are sick. Carter and Mallory and, and Hannah kept uh, Campbell home this morning, and, and my Hannah should stay home with him. I feel like I should say that. We have almost all the Hannahs here today, so my Hannah stayed home with Campbell uh, today. He was feeling a little sick. So we got several who are sick, and this is probably a good reminder uh, as we sort of turn the page. It's hard to believe that it'll be November here in just a couple of days, but probably a good time to remind you that if you feel like you are sick, please stay home. We love you, but stay home. Uh, make sure that you get well. We don't expect anyone to come and, and feel like they have to be here if you're feeling unwell. We want to try to keep the sickness uh, from spreading as, as much as possible, um, but we will certainly pray for you and do anything we can, but uh, it's that time of year where we kind of have a lot who start dropping out as people are getting sick this, uh, during this winter season that's coming up. Uh, speaking of, of multiple Hannahs, some, many of you saw Jerry came to the front and was whispering in my ear. He had a couple of announcements he forgot. We have multiple Hannahs. We also have multiple Barbaras, in case you didn't know. Uh, and we have our, our Secret Sister program that's going on, and we're thankful for that. Uh, but I believe there's a gift on the table in the library for a Barbara, but we may not be sure which Barbara. So if you uh, have one of the Barbaras as your secret sister, uh, or one of the Hannahs, or anything like that, we'll make sure we get maybe a last initial or last name on it. You might check that, but we're thankful for our, our ladies who have been involved with that so far the last couple of months. Uh, the other thing that he mentioned to me that he forgot to, uh, didn't get to mention was that uh, there are some cards on the table in the library as well for, I think, Care Team 3. And so if you're a part of Care Team 3, if you would swing by and sign those uh, sometime this morning, then, then our leaders will uh, take care of getting those mailed out. So Care Team 3, please, uh, please check the table in the library. You know, lately we have had three occurrences, I believe, where someone discussed the idea of being baptized again. And some people might say, we might use the term, some people might call that being re-baptized. Now, this can be a, a touchy subject. I don't mean that it's bad in any way, but you might find that some people might have uh, disagreements on, on this or this concept or be unsure about if this is something that should be practiced or something that the Bible teaches about. The question that sometimes comes up is, is rebaptism e even a thing? Is that even something that exists or a phrase that we should use? There are sometimes several different situations that can come up when we talk about this. Let's say that we have an eight-year-old child who has heard the preacher talk about it all the time, right? Mentions it every service. And he's seen people be baptized during worship service. So he steps out in that aisle and comes down front and he says he believes and wants to be baptized. Does he know enough? Does he truly understand? That same young man might later in life, say 10 years later when he's 18, have a question about what he really did on that day when he went down front. He might even be considering if he needs to be re 
baptized. If you have your outline in front of you, you'll notice it's in quotation marks, kind of that idea. I'm going to do my best not to do this all morning during the lesson, all right? But, but you'll see what we mean as we kind of get through it. But, but that sometimes is a situation that comes up. Or say we have a man who is constantly worried. We might even use the term anxious about life and, and the way that he's living. He was baptized when he was 14, so maybe he was a little older than some, but he's just always doubting his salvation. He remembers vividly, as he's older, he remembers vividly what took place. He remembers vividly saying, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He remembers vividly going down into that water that maybe was even a little colder than he imagined that it would have been, but now he just doesn't know. He just worries a lot if he will go to heaven. And he wonders if he needs to be rebaptized. Or say there is a lady who was baptized in a denomination. We'll just say the Methodist church. She remembers how the preacher told her what to say, how she prayed that Jesus would come into her heart. And then she went back two weeks later to that same building for a baptism ceremony so that she could join that particular church. But now she hears what this preacher is saying. She understands the teaching of the Bible. It looks like when people in the, in the Bible were saved, they were saved when they were baptized, not saved and then baptized later. So she asked the question, always in her mind, does she need to be rebaptized? Now, let me say this. Some people teach, some people teach, that you must be baptized by a Church of Christ preacher in a Church of Christ building with the right formula said, and, and even some people would say in Church of Christ water. And I do not believe that that is exactly what the Bible teaches. But then some people believe that as long as you were immersed, then you are a Christian. And I do not believe that that is exactly what the Bible teaches either. So what does the Bible say? And let me give you a warning before we go any deeper that this is the best that I can do in this format, standing before you lecturing, as we would say. My intention this morning is not, is not to cause lots of doubts. I don't think that is needed. And it, but if you have further questions or would like to talk deeper in a private setting, then we can certainly do that as soon as this afternoon if you would like to do that. So what does the Bible say? Well, let us consider this morning. The first thing to note as we think about this, and this is sort of the, the big bombshell maybe, is that technically there is no such thing as rebaptism. That's the first thing we need to note about this conversation and why ultimately it's in quotation marks sort of in your outline, in your heading, in the title of the lesson. Because technically speaking, there is no such thing as rebaptism. You may recall from your Bible in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 5, you remember there in Ephesians 4 that Paul is listening, listing, excuse me, what we would commonly call the seven ones, seven things that are one, each one in of themselves, one Lord, one faith, verse 5 says, one baptism. He mentions that in this list of seven things. There's one baptism. So technically, all right, I don't know if that's the right word to use or not, but technically speaking, you might have gone down into the water two times. However, I think we're all, at least those of you who are old enough, understand 
the idea that we would all agree that we could bring any person in the world. I mean, we could stop down here at the gas station. We could go into Saudi. We could go into Chattanooga. We could go anywhere in the world and find someone and bring them into this building. And I know it sounds silly to say, but we could hold them under and put them under the water. But that would not make that person a Christian just because we forced them to. We might also say, and we're going to touch on it, but we could bring a baby. We could bring a newborn baby in here, and we could find a way, of course, and without drowning them, put them into the water, but that would not make them a Christian. So technically, you can go down to the water two times, technically speaking, but if you, but if you were baptized, but there was something deficient about what took place, then you still need to be baptized with the correct things in place. And so that's why we sometimes say rebaptism because you would go down in the water a second time. But I think we can make the point that if something was wrong, if something was missing, if there were not the correct things in place, then you weren't actually baptized the first time. You just took a bath without soap, we might say. And you still need to be baptized. So what are those things? Let's notice three things together this morning before we look at a scriptural study from one particular passage. So what is needed? Number one, the scriptural candidate. The first thing that's needed is a scriptural candidate. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, of course, all three of these are going to begin with scriptural because we want to know what scripture has to say. But what is a candidate? Well, we are, of course, around election time in our country as we so often seem to be and we know that a candidate is a person who may be up for office in this case we're talking about a person who is considering or wants to be baptized but what are the aspects what are the attitudes of that person well first of all we must say a person must believe right a person must believe so the so this eliminates the infants that we talked about just a few moments ago but question up to what age you know, you might call an infant uh, uh, under one. Somebody else might call an infant under two. What age are we talking about? Because we can agree that this eliminates infants because they're not able to believe, but up to what age? A baby? Yes, for sure. Even if his parents or her parents are sincere in what they feel they are doing in their efforts, but up to what age? A five-year-old? They could say that they believe. They believe in lots of things. But do they actually believe? A person must be believing. But secondly, a person must be penitent or willing to repent. You know the words of Jesus. We usually put them on the screen. Luke 13 and verse 3. I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So we know that a person must be penitent or repent. And in Luke's account of the Great Commission, Luke chapter 24 and verse number 47, where Jesus is telling his disciples what to do to spread the gospel. Jesus, we're going to go. What is it that we should be teaching? He says, first of all, part of that included in that is re repentance. Repentance should be preached. And as we have emphasized before, repentance is truly a change of mind that leads to a change of life. You can be immersed, but never change your life. To be truly, biblically baptized, you must repent. So when we talk about a scriptural canon, here's the phrase. And, and sometimes, I may be guilty as well, we as preachers throw these out. Because people have heard them. Many people have heard them all their lives. But 
to be sure that we understand a scriptural candidate is someone who is a penitent believer in Christ. That's the first thing that needs to be there is a person who is a penitent believer in Christ. That, that eliminates a lot of people who are too young because they cannot believe. That eliminates a lot of people who say, well, you know what? I really want to go into the baptistry and be immersed, get wet, but I don't really want to change. That in and of itself begins to eliminate some people. The second thing that we say is needed is a scriptural mode, M-O-D-E, the scriptural mode. Well, what is it? And that is, of course, immersion, immersion into water. In Romans chapter 6, in verses 3 and 4, we see in the example of Jesus why immersion is important. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul would write, Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's a question. Don't you know that? Therefore, we were, notice, buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should rise, we might could insert there, rise to walk in newness of life. Now this is the instance where you've heard me say it a hundred times, but I reckon that God could say that we need to do a hundred jumping jacks. I reckon he could say we have to travel to Jerusalem, that we have to touch a, a rock or a temple in Jerusalem. He could have said anything that he wanted to say for us to be saved because he's God. But it makes perfect sense when Paul explains for us that we are participating with Jesus in his death, the burial, immersion, buried in water, and then the resurrection, walking in newness of life. Paul would also write about this in Colossians chapter 2 in verse number 12. That you were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So when we see that the scriptural mode is immersion, we see that, first of all, in the life of Jesus. But secondly, we see that played out in the examples in the New Testament. We see it shown to us. In Matthew chapter 3, in verse number 16, at Jesus' baptism, which is a little different because he had, he had not died yet, but at Jesus' baptism, Matthew records that when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. He came up. Is there a reason to come up if somebody just sprinkles a little bit of water on your head? I would say no. That would not describe immersion, burial, baptism. John chapter 3. John 3 and verse 23 tells us that John the baptizer also was baptizing near Salem. Why? Why did he choose this location? Because there was much water there. Why would he need much water? He, he would just need like a little pitcher if he's just going to walk around sprinkling people or even pouring a little bit on people's head. He needed much water because it involves immersion and it involves being buried in the water. And of course, the one that we often refer to is Acts chapter 8 and verse 38. That after Philip had joined himself with that Ethiopian nobleman and they studied together Jesus the Christ, that this Ethiopian eunuch sees water and he says, why can't I be baptized? I don't know what all Philip said, but he obviously preached baptism and the Ethiopian nobleman understood here is water. Why can't I do that? 
And when they get ready to go through with this, it is recorded that they went down into the water. Again, why would Philip just say, hey, you you seem to be wealthy. You keep your seat. I'm going to go get a little bit of water in my hand, and I'll come right back, and we'll baptize you right here in the chariot. No reason for you to have to get out and go anywhere. I'll just do that real quick. They both got out. They go down into the water so that he can be properly immersed or buried or baptized. Friends, this cuts out pouring sprinkling or anything else that you might think of when you look at not only the words of Jesus or the words of Paul that the example of Jesus and also the examples we see on the pages of the New Testament questions can you be baptized in a swimming pool can you be baptized in a baptistry can you be baptized in a hot tub or in a tub maybe in a bathroom kind of thing can you be baptized in the river one more question for you Where do you think the 3,000 people were baptized on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? So so the location might vary, we can say, but not the mode. If there's enough water for a person to be immersed, to be buried in the water, to participate with Jesus in that death, burial, and resurrection, then the location might vary, but not the mode. Our young people that have been with us at Camp McCroy are familiar. We've got just a little itty-bitty creek that we can play in sometimes there at the, at the camp. And this was one of the years this past summer where there hadn't been a lot of rain and we, weren't, we didn't allow the kids to go down and play in the water very much because there wasn't enough of it. But as we had one young lady who wanted to be baptized while we were there, we had to get out to the deepest, deepest part as much as we could, even maybe help hold down her legs as we're going to do it to make sure that there was enough water so that we could properly immerse her, bury her in the water, to participate with Jesus in that. All right, so we've talked about a couple of things. Number three, let's talk about the scriptural reason. The scriptural reason. Part of what makes this discussion difficult is that we cannot look at someone and know their motives. I can't look at you this morning and know your motives or reasons. If a 45-year-old person comes down the aisle this morning and comes to the front, if an 8-year-old young person comes to the front, I can't look at you and see your heart and know your motives or, or your reasons. But we can know that the Bible gives us that there are some proper reasons and maybe some bad reasons. Let's talk about some of the wrong reasons real quick. Number one, my friends are doing it. You know, sometimes we have to be very careful at things like Bible camp or youth events Because it's real easy and real great to come home and say, we had 25 baptisms. It may be that there was one penitent believer and 24 who said, well, if she's doing it, then I think I need to do it as well. Again, as the preacher, we can't always judge a person's motive or reasons, but sometimes a bad reason is because my friends are doing it. Number two, because, and I'm going to say it carefully, but blank wants me to, because blank wants me to maybe it's my mother my mom's been on me about it she's told me she wants to she says I'm old enough my mom wants me to maybe it's the preacher my preacher's preached about it all the time I think he's asked me about it he says I'm old enough my preacher wants me to maybe it's my boyfriend or girlfriend or anybody but there's somebody that's kind of pushing me to and and they want me to so that's why I'm gonna do it maybe as well number three as an outward sign of an inward grace Or some people say an outward sign of an inward salvation. That's a wrong reason. Because we're not saved before and then we're baptized. We're saved at the point of baptism. Coming in contact with the blood of Christ as we say. 
So if we're doing it because, well, we've been saved and now we just feel like we, we should probably be baptized too, right? Jesus did it. The, the Bible talks about it. So I'll just do it because that's, that's what they're telling me I need to do. It's the wrong reason. Number four, to join the church you are attending. Somebody says, well, we're glad you've been coming. Would you like to be baptized so that we can put your name on the roll and you can join our church? Friends, we, read, we don't read that on the pages of the New Testament either. So what is the right reason? We could probably come up with a list of the wrong reasons that goes even longer, but what is the right reason? And I know you're familiar with the text, but of course, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, for the remission of sins. On that great day when Peter preaches that great sermon and they ask, what shall we do? Almost similar to the Ethiopian nobleman, here's water, what hinders me? What is it that we need to do, Peter? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Now, for you adults, I talked about this, it's been several months ago now, my Wednesday night class, and I, I warned you then that if you're really bored or really have trouble going to sleep, I have a, a senior-level paper that I wrote on the word for right there. Because the Greek word, there's questions about what it means. Does it mean that we are baptized because we received the remission of sins, or does it mean that we are baptized in order to get the remission of sins? And there's great discussion about that. And that was one of the things I wrote about in my senior level Bible course. But that's it. How, how can we know that? Well, do you recall in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 that Paul says a similar thing? In Acts 22, he's recounting what took place in Acts chapter 9. He's, re, he's telling his story. But he says, and now why are you waiting? That was the question to him. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Remission of sins. And let's talk for just a second. I, I've given lots of clarifications, but just let me try to say again here. The concern with this point is that you may have been immersed and you may have felt you were doing it for the right reason. But it is probably more often the case that if you were a part of, of any other denomination or group that don't teach the connection between baptism and salvation, then there is a good chance that maybe something was missing. In that we have lots of people in the world who have been immersed, but they may not have been the proper candidate or they may not have used the proper mode. They may not have been immer immersed uh, for the right reason. Excuse me. Use the scriptural reason. Now, before we move on to our example, let's notice what is not needed. You know, what's not needed. Perfect knowledge. Knowledge is needed. A person must believe. They must have, have knowledge about Jesus the Christ. They must have knowledge about what the Bible teaches. But perfect knowledge is not needed. You must know something. But the perfect knowledge where you feel like you need to know everything is not needed. Now, the problem with this is that some people put this off because of that idea, right? They put off baptism because they say, well, I don't know enough. I don't know enough, I'm going to know enough later, and when I know enough later, then I'll be baptized. And yet some people consider rebaptism because of this. They say, well, I didn't know enough. Question, how much do you think those people on that day of Pentecost knew? Did they know everything? How much do you think that that Philippian jailer or that Ethiopian nobleman might have known? Did they know everything? Absolutely not. They didn't have perfect knowledge. In fact, as someone who works with 
Christians or works with, with people as, as in the role of a minister, it makes me extremely nervous to think about having 3,000 baptisms at one time. How would you even wrap your arms around that many people and try to encourage all of them? You can't. And I don't think it was necessary because of the way that the disciples were working in those things. But there's no way that all those people had perfect knowledge. So first of all, don't put it off. But then secondly, I told you I'm not trying to talk anyone into saying that they might need to be baptized again. Because if you look back and all your, all your statement is, is, well, I didn't know enough. I didn't either. And probably nobody really did. Even if you're 40, 50, 60 when you were baptized, you probably didn't know everything and may not have known enough. So while the right person with the right attitude, the right mode, and the right reason is needed, perfect knowledge is not. Now, let's look at one biblical example, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. This is often referred to as the case for re-baptism. While on his third missionary journey, Paul comes to Ephesus, and there he meets 12 men. And as you turn there, if you're not familiar, you'll see some quote, quotes there. You'll see that there are some questions by Paul, and there's some answers by these men, and there's this brief discussion, and the conclusion is that their baptism was deficient in some way. And that's where we sometimes find ourselves. That's where some people sit sometimes, and they say, I look back, and I think there was something deficient about my baptism. Now, here's a very important part of this. And let me just go back. If you opened up there, you notice that as Paul is asking this question, he says, verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So then he says, well, into what then were you baptized? Paul's right there. Notice he says in verse number 2, believed. Does he mean that they believed only? No, he means the whole act of the plan of salvation. Because then he says, well, then in what to, into what were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Verse 4, so Paul said, then John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were rebaptized, maybe baptized, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about this, and for the sake of time this morning, we can't get into all of it. But here's a very important part of this case that I'd like for you to take and think about as we ask this question this morning. The important thing to note here is that accurate teaching and accurate understanding must come before the baptism. Accurate teaching and accurate understanding must come before the baptism. We could say a lot more about this, but this goes back to the things that we said earlier about the idea that just any immersed person is okay. Right? Some people say that. Well, you, it doesn't have to be a Church of Christ preacher, Church of Christ building, Church of Christ water, all those things. But then somebody on the other hand says, well, all you got to do is just be immersed, right? If there was something amiss in the teaching then there is a good chance that there was something amiss in the baptism. I hope you understand that clearly. If there was something amiss in the teaching, then there is a good chance there was something amiss with the baptism. It just sort of flows naturally. 
there is a chance that there could be someone baptized. Let me say it this way. There is a small, very, 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 very small chance that a person could be baptized with proper understanding from teaching that is false, but that is very, 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 very small and highly unlikely. If someone is teaching everyone else, if everyone else in a building is saying, oh, well, I was saved when I came to the front and I prayed this prayer and then I was baptized later, if you were a part of that group, there's a very, very small chance that you did something different if that's what everyone else is being taught. These guys in Acts chapter 19 were baptized for the first time in the name of Jesus and not in John's baptism. They could not be baptized properly in the name of Jesus if they were taught about John. Maybe that makes it a little easier to understand. So in this case, they needed to be baptized. Rebaptized? I mean, somebody might say that. But actually, baptized in the one baptism in the name of Jesus. And again, similarly, it seems possible, but very, 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 very slim chance that a person might be taught by a Catholic priest or some other denomination and still be baptized correctly. What we need is accurate teaching and accurate understanding. So the question is, do I need to be rebaptized? The answer is yes, if any of the scriptural things that we mentioned were missing. If you were not a scriptural candidate, if someone is sitting here and says, well, you know, my parents told me that I was sprinkled as a baby, and I've just always said I was baptized, but now I realize I wasn't a scriptural candidate, then the answer is yes. Maybe not to the part about rebaptism, but yes, you were not a scriptural candidate. If the scriptural mode was not used, again, again, even going back to the sprinkling, or if the reasons that we listed that are wrong reasons for being baptized or any of the reasons, then the answer may be, yes, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, being a penitent, confessing believer. Do I need to be rebaptized? The answer is no, if you're simply worried or anxious or doubting certain things. Again, please understand that my goal this morning is not to cause confusion. In fact, my opinion, my opinion, just Joel's two cents, is that very often people who consider being rebaptized are more accurately just struggling with doubt. They're just simply saying that I don't know that if I were to die or the Lord were to return, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. I know that I've got sin. I know that I struggle. And I'm just constantly worried about those things. And I think that a lot of people are simply doubting, anxious, or worried. They knew what they were doing. They were a scriptural candidate. They were immersed for the remission of their sins originally. And their problem is, is that they're just struggling with doubt and worry and anxiety. So my encouraging words to someone who is in that boat <clears throat> is this. If you are, if you are certain now, if you have lots of doubt and are worried, we can absolutely do this. You can be baptized. But connected is that certainly now you should not have to think about it again, right? If you are worried or doubting, then we can talk about those feelings. But if knowledge or reason was the issue when you were younger, if you're older now, that's not the problem anymore, that you don't know if it was the right reason or have that knowledge, now, I say all of that to say that the last few weeks, we have had 
three different people that have said, I want to be baptized, and we have done that. I'm not here to talk you into it or out of it. I'm here to simply try to lay the case that there are some reasons why a person may need to be, and there are some reasons when a person is simply struggling or doubting, they may not need to be. And as we have tried to do more often to encourage people that when you are baptized, that you write a letter, maybe to yourself, or write down the reasons why. So when you get later in life and you're struggling and you're doubting, you can look back and say, well, I knew what I was doing. I was the right candidate. I used the right mode. I did it for the right reason. And now I just need to be encouraged and strengthened. As we said at the beginning, it might be better for anyone who has questions if we can sit down and talk about these things face to face. But as a lot of people have questions about whether or not rebaptism even exists or whether it's something you need to do or not do, understand that there are some things that must be present. There are some reasons that can be, there's one reason that can be right and some reasons that can be wrong. As we're as we do at the end of every lesson, we're about to sing a song of encouragement. To encourage you this morning, if you are not baptized, to become a Christian. It's not to join the church. It's not to put it to a vote of whether or not you can be a part of this body or family. We would love for you to worship here with us at the Saudi Church. But it's to join the church of Christ. To join the church that Jesus shed his blood for. The bride of Christ. Once again, it's not the elders that add you to the church. It's not the preacher. It's not the person that baptizes you if you choose someone else to maybe do that. But it's the Lord who adds you to the church. If you don't know enough about the plan of salvation and you'd like to study more, we would study with you as soon as possible. If you have questions about any of these things, we talk to you as soon as we can so that you can make sure that you are right with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you are in that boat where you say, I knew what I was doing. I don't feel like I need to be baptized, but I'm struggling. Maybe there's sin in your life that you would like forgiveness of, that you'd like to confess to God because he is the one who can forgive you. We're thankful that one of our elders will be coming forward in just a moment to pray with you and for you. Maybe you're struggling in this life. Maybe you have, uh, maybe you have things that are going on and you'd like the encouragement of the church. We're thankful to be together and for the chance to encourage you either to become a Christian or come back to him as we stand together and as we sing.